So how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I really can't complain, I guess. Uh, tomorrow is your birthday. Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm we're spending the the last, the, the dying hours of my 20s <laughs> together. <laughs> were you a little scared for the big 3 You know, you know what? I'm, I'm ready for it. I think um, everyone always says the 30s are the best. You know, this is kind of like the best time of your life, really. You know, I mean, 20s are cool. You're still figuring a lot of stuff out not a teenager anymore, but, you know, it's, it's kind of a really in-between, you know, it's, it's a really in-between time, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, bring the 30s on now. <laughs> Ready to kick 30s ass. Yeah. How's Cassie doing? She's doing good. She's, uh, she needs a haircut. Um, she's adjusted to New York quite nicely, and uh, I get to, the, the cool thing about it is I, I get to take her to work you know, if I'm if I'm working on something here in the city, I'll you can take her to set with me, and she loves that. She's she's a vet, a veteran set pet. Now, <laughs> SGU was a pretty pet friendly set too, wasn't it? Oh, it was, yeah. Everybody had their dogs there. I mean, you know, the crew had their dogs there. All the people in BFX had dogs. You know, Louie brought Giancarlo and Charlie up all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everybody had dogs, and Cassie just kind of fell right into the mix. She doesn't, you know, she, she's not a, an interactive kind of dog. She would normally just kind of hang out in the trailer and, you know, wait for me to spill something or, <laughs> you know, and get and get hair all over that, that black uniform, which was always sort of a, a, you know, an issue. They had to have one of those hair tape roller things. The wardrobe that, department hated you. Yeah, yeah. Before, <laughs> any time we we came in from a from a break, you know, I had this white King Charles Cavalier fur all over my Stargate uniform, and it just you know I, we didn't have any kind of you know I, I don't know, maybe maybe that was like furling or, or something like that. <laughs> maybe that was like something that we were, maybe that was something we were supposed to find out in season three. Uh-huh. <laughs> all right, first question, and probably the biggest one, and probably the one that's probably on most people's minds. Who are you rooting for for the Super Bowl this year? Well, as a Texan, I'm, if you say Dallas, the interview's over. I mean, listen, uh, we're, uh, interview's going to have to be over, man. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Cowboys, Cowboys fan. It's just pure nostalgia. I, I don't know if I'd be able to really ever root for anybody else. You know, if, if it's not the Cowboys playing, if I turn on a football game, I, I usually root for the team. You have to respect Green Bay. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, I I have my 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 football scope is pretty much limited to to the Cowboys. If it's not the Cowboys, it's it's that other team. I don't know what they're doing or what they're about. Mm-hmm. I, but I haven't seen any football this year. Cowboys aren't doing good, are they? They've lost quite a few games yeah, already. Yeah, they have. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I actually they, the they biggest can, surprise of the season for me has got to be Detroit. Oh really? Oh yeah, they're undefeated. Green Bay and Detroit are the only ones left. Oh jeez. Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, when I grew up, it was you know the Cowboys. You know, they were America's team. You know, it was Troy Aikman and um, Emmett Smith. You know, it's, that's that's I'll always have a, a place in my heart for the Cowboys, no matter who's in it. But that that was a that was a really you know special time for mm-hmm. to, to be a Cowboys fan. <laughs> I don't. Rob Cooper is a really big Cowboys fan still. I wonder if he is this year. <laughs> well, if he has any taste, probably not. Yeah, 
Hey, be nice. Sorry, sorry. All right, well, suppose we should get serious here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Scott's arc in season two. Uh, for me, it truly began with aftermath when Riley was killed, and you get young. His confidence is kind of shaken by that whole thing, and we yeah. just kind of see him kind of deteriorate into this shell. And Scott's kind of forced to assume a little bit heavier leadership role in the interim. Uh, what was that like uh, in terms of the scenes that you played and taking that extra on? Well, it was great. I think it all came to a head for Scott in uh, trial and error. When you know, that was really when when Curly Young went off the deep end. And Scott, you know, really for the first time had to, you know, step up and, and, you know, make a few calls and, you know, try and bring people together. They were facing at that point what they thought was going to be an imminent um, attempt by the, by the Blue Aliens to board the ship. I mean, there was just a lot of stuff going on. Um, and, you know, I thought he did a really good job of, of uh, stepping up to the plate, and I thought he show, showed um, the possibility of... of um, you know, being a good leader on down the road. It was always a process with Sky. We never wanted to arrive um, anywhere with the characters. You know what I mean? The, the, the idea was to always kind of keep them changing and keep them a little bit off balance. So, um, you I know... I think one of the key things with Scott was that, you know, you could see these leadership skills within him, but he was never, ever quite sure of himself. No, he wasn't. And it was a, it was a constant... I think it was very constant and conscious choice by the writers um, and I, I know that was something that, that Brad Wright believed in a lot and you know especially in the beginning he would tell me hey look don't don't let him get too confident too good too smooth right away you know let's let's give him somewhere to go over over the course of of, of the show and of course you know they had a very specific plan of how the show was going to move forward in season three and, and beyond. I think they had what was a four or five year plan for the show, um, and it's just one of the things that just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Is there, there was still so much more territory to cover with the characters that uh, that you know we, we didn't really get to get into, of course, because because the show was 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 ended so so early. But um, uh, yeah. We, at this point, you know, at the end of season two, you, you know, you, you got kind of a hint that Scott could, you know, be be a good leader. But of course, there's a chain of command, and you know, really, it's you know, the, the sort of defining relationship to me of the show seems to be Young and Rush, and and the the butting heads between those two. Um, there's a lot going on with like Eli and Rush and Eli and Young too, but you know, the the, the real focus seems to be on on those two and building a relationship that uh, I think would have moved season three um, more into the territory of now we've got a team, now we've got a group of people who are together, and now let's go out and figure out what this background radiation is, maybe continue to find a way home. But, of course, as we saw in um, Twin Destinies, you know, you're, you're seeing a group of people here who have kind of resigned themselves to their fate and have accepted that this uh, that this ship might be, you know, the last thing. This is uh, this is going to be home, and this is now their family. Mm-hmm. So I think going into season three and beyond, that that was definitely going to be a core part of of the show. Right. You know, one of the things, uh, you know, Matt goes and he talks to Young uh, towards the end, I think, of Trial and Error, and uh, he goes and he says, a leader leads not for the sake of others, or leads uh, for the sake of others, not for themselves. And something that I thought actually rang very true 
over the course of the entire show. And especially with Scott, and I know I keep bringing up the leadership thing, but it's something that I saw so much growth in over the course. I mean, that was one of the big arcs for me for the character over the course of the season. The little things like, you know, Scott finally snapping Everett out of the funk that he was in. The little things like the way he handled Rush when he came back through the gate after he killed Simeon. Right, yeah, and I, I think that it was it was really smart choice on the writer's part because that's what happens in life. I mean, sometimes, you know, we sit back on our heels when someone else is, you know, you know, putting the food on the table and, and you know, keeping the streets safe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, in Scott's case, he was forced to, to find his voice as a leader. He was he was forced to uh, to grow some to, to grow a pair mm-hmm. because you know he he was a logical next step in the chain of command. And uh, you know that that happens in life. You know it's like the mother whose kid you know has one of their kids trapped underneath the car, and like all of a sudden she's got superhuman strength and lifts the car up and saves her kid. It's people are pretty amazing things, and you can get you know, characters that you think initially are kind of weak or pretty unsure of themselves, you put them in the, in the right kind of crisis situation and they're going to discover qualities in themselves that they didn't even know that they had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was a really great, uh, you know, uh, piece of writing that we got there, especially in that episode. And, I, I, you know, I look back, I mean, that scene between Young and Scott, I mean, I, certainly from, from my end, I thought that was, that was the best writing I'd gotten um, I, I, I remember thanking Paul like over and over for that scene because it was it was one of the very few times I felt that Scott really had something that he had to achieve that the stakes were very very high, mm-hmm. and that to me is the most compelling kind of storytelling. And it's, it's it's those are always the moments that we remember in characters' lives. Yeah, that specific scene was electric. I mean, I remember kind of getting the you know those tension goosebumps you get sometimes when you've got two characters that are you know butting heads. The yeah. dynamic that from the beginning that Young and Rush had, you know, that intensity within the scene yeah. and the way that you and Louie were playing it together was just, like I said, I, that was a standout scene for me for you for the season. It, 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 it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, I thought it was, it was the best work I'd done on the show. And I think, and I think the reason it was because there was just something very powerful to play. Mm-hmm. It was, it was all there in the writing. Look, I mean, when the writing is that good, you just kind of show up. <laughs> and let it happen. You don't have to work too hard at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a real gift. It was a real gift. You know, and I'm watching these shows like Breaking Bad, and I'm watching, you know, uh, Mad Men. Every single scene is like that in these shows. That's what that's what makes them such amazing television shows, and it makes me appreciate what they're able to achieve in shows like that. They're they're able to to sustain that kind of intensity, episode after episode, scene after scene after scene, and that's. That's a very, very typical thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on a little bit further into the season. Uh, Cloverdale, uh, which Cloverdale, was basically yeah, was the fun. Scott and LSD episode. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but um, basically the main theme of that, too, uh, becoming you know him you know not sure you know, in his hallucinations as far as what's going on around him, where he's coming from, where he's at. Um, but mainly it begins uh, the arc uh, in terms of Chloe and him starting to protect her a little bit more because by this point already she's been infected. Yeah, yeah. And, and his own, you know, he's got feelings for her, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, she's a threat. Um, and and I, I, I don't know, that whole episode was, was, a, was, was really interesting to me Solely from from the standpoint of, of how Scott saw the all these people, you know what I mean. His his, his 
perception of the relationships and how, you know, the different roles that people played in his, you know, subconscious that got played out in this dream that he was having. I, I thought it was, was, you know, it was really fun. Mm-hmm. And it was fun for all of us. I mean, Louie was like, oh, my God, you know, we're here we are on the set. We did the scene. We're all smiling and goofy and laughing. I mean, rarely got to cut up and cut loose like that. And uh, um, Alex uh, Chappell directed that episode, and I think he did such a fantastic job giving it a, a sort of cinematic feel, mm-hmm. you know, and the color correction that they used in the dream sequences and all that was, was really, really well done. Um, it, it was, that, that was a fun one, a really fun one to shoot. It was, it was great getting to drive out to that location every day. And um, I was going to say, it probably had to be nice to get out of the soundstage. Oh well, any time we did, it was it was fantastic, and we know we actually shot quite a bit on location, especially second season. It seemed like we did a lot of on location stuff mm-hmm. in second season, and and that's that's always the, the you know it's like it's like taking a field trip. Right. That's the, the, all, all my fondest memories of the show are moments that we shot out on location because it was just. You know, it's like going to camping with your with your buddies, and you know the crew. Everyone's having a great time. It's you're up at the butt crack at dawn, driving out there. Got your coffee. You know, you got your music playing. It's just you know, living the dream. And you're going out to make a show in this crazy location you've never been to, and you probably never will go back to again. Exactly. And, and you know, I was up in Burnaby in April, and a friend and I. I you know, I'm Sean, Sean Koo. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we actually uh, yes, we actually took a drive uh, from Burnaby to Cloverdale, just to, you know, just to get there for the day and just kind of check it out. Uh, right. That's not a short drive. No, it was a very long drive. <laughs> it was a very, very long drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember, God, I think getting up like at you know three or four o'clock in the morning to to just you know to drive what the, the hour hour and some change. Mm-hmm. It took to get out there. It was, uh, but you know, I, again, I love that. I mean, that's that's why I do this. You know, that it was the best part of. You know, I mean, you know, you, it's so funny because it's hard for us to communicate the experience of making a show like that. You know, I mean, because you know, you guys see the episodes and you talk to us, and, but but you know, for me, I I don't remember the episodes. I, I don't really remember so much what my character did, but I remember certain things that happened behind the scenes. I remember. You know, oh my God, catering had an amazing lunch that day, or they made a cake for mm-hmm. <laughs> it was someone's birthday. You know, it's 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 those you know experiences that are that that's what's really important to me, and that's that's what made this experience so special. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's all the stuff that that, that we went through that, that no one even really gets to see. Right. One of the other big arcs for Scott, I think, over the course of the season was the relationship with Chloe and kind of watching her as she's suffering and going through this illness that he doesn't know how to help her with. And um, I, I just think that the determination and sense of purpose and wanting to help cure her somehow, some way, the way that Scott almost comes to blows with Greer, who's someone he considers almost like a brother, you know, when he's yeah. like, you know, it's going to get to a point where we've got to put her down, you know, and just the intensity that you brought into that also? Well, you know, you're watching someone die, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone you love, um, and not just die, but become something that's going to be a threat to to, every, to yourself and everyone else that you love. Uh, I thought it was a really conflicting, um, it had to be a really conflicting experience for him. And, um, 
he definitely, and I thought what made him human in his response to it is, you know, I think he was a little bit disgusted as well. I and mean, you got that scene, I remember, where it's the first time that she shows him her skin and she's got this stuff growing on it. And almost this sort of like, you know, in the script it said, you know, there's like a look of subtle disgust, you know, flashes across his face. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's really great. Like, that's really honest. It's not just like, oh, I love you no matter what. You know, it's not this kind of corny, purely corny, <laughs> you know, romantic type stuff. It's, he, he definitely has his issues, and he, and he wrestles with it. And I think that he comes to terms with it um, when he, you know, has to fly her over to the alien ship and uh, give her up, um, hopefully to be cured. But who knows what was going to happen to her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's when he really, you know, any doubts that he had about her were really resolved in his mind, and he just was crazy about this girl, never had anything like that in his life before. She was his family. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I just found that very moving. I, I was, it was a very moving, uh, you know, scenario to play. I think in retrospect, and we'll fast forward here closer to the end of the season, in retrospect, I think a lot of Stargate fans and SGU fans in general are going to consider Common Descent and Epilogue probably two of SGU's finest episodes themselves and easily some of the franchise's best work in years. Yeah. Um, Rob Cooper, Carl Binder, they wrote some magnificent stuff. Uh, What were your thoughts when you first saw the script? Well, we were scared to death (laughs) because they were really... um they were really, especially uh, epilogue. I think it was that epilogue. Um, it was a really, really ambitious script. Um, you know, and just to be sure, because I have to like go back in my mind. It's been so long since I've thought about any of this. That that's mm-hmm. the episode where we go back, we find the tapes, yeah. and everyone's older, and yeah. then there's like the city at the end, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Novus. Yeah, yep. that, yeah, Novus, right? Um, I mean that that episode again. Alex Chappelle directed that episode um, and did a fantastic job with it. And uh, it could have been a disaster, um, especially just just in terms of, um, of 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 makeup. I mean, our makeup department pulled this together so beautifully well because to age people like that, especially Ming and especially Louis, the, the kind of work that they did on them and and all the changeovers that they had to do, it was insane, and they did such a great job of selling that and making it feel real. But we were like, I remember going up to Carl, and I was like, how the hell are we going to do this? Because <laughs> we only have like seven days to shoot an episode. That's not a lot of time. Um, but it, it happened, and it came together great, and I thought that storyline was fantastic. Novus and the ancestors and, and the drones coming in and then finding, you know, the, the archive and all the tapes and everything. It was beautiful. It was beautifully done. And it, it, I think why people responded to it is it had a sort of a, a, a really that traditional Stargate sense of, of um, wonder. You know, it, it, as dark as things got, there was still kind of a little twinkle of, isn't this cool? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Still sort of a sense of, of um, how freaking amazing. You know, it, it, it was just so imaginative and, and so well done. I'm not surprised people had such a great response to it. But, you know, we never know how people are going to respond to the episodes. I know we shot a few episodes we thought that people were going to love, and, you know, they, you know, thought they were donkey-doo. <laughs> <laughs> so you, I, we, I have no idea, and I, I can't analyze it. Um, 
we're all a little bit too close to it to understand why people respond to certain things and why they don't respond to others. To a degree, I think part of it too was by the time that it aired, everybody knew that, you know, there wasn't any more coming after it. And they were looking at it as, you know, the series is at least that we wouldn't find out until later it was the whole franchise. But the series, at least, you know, these were the final episodes. I think people that at least the ones that were enjoying the show already were savoring them more and taking in more of the nuances. And, you know, does that make sense? I think you're right. People were enjoying the moment so much more. I think that's part of probably a, a crush, or, or a, not a crush, but a, a deep down. I don't think problem. anybody truly expected, even with the numbers that the show was pulling in, and we can go into the all the various reasons for why you know that happened. You know that's been done to death. Yeah. But uh, in terms of the end itself, I don't think anybody ever really honestly figured that when the series, if it did end, when that ended, that that would be it. And now we're sitting, you know, with no Stargate on the air for the first time in 14 years. Yeah, it, it's it's wild. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that everybody, you know, got a little bit... It's easy for people to kind of sit back and go, oh, you know, Stargate's always going to be around. You know, it, it's always going to be here. And um, it's funny, the minute the show got canceled is when things, for the first time in two years, I felt that, you know, we were really embraced by a lot of Stargate fans, you know, and I, and I think we all appreciated it, and, you know, we were very happy for that, but at the same time, it was like, man, too little, too late, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where were you? <laughs> Having talked with you throughout those two years, it was a rough couple of years. It really was, and then all of a sudden, it's like these people who've been spending the last two years, you know, just crapping on everything that we did, all of a sudden they're, you know, I can't believe this show's over, man. Oh my God, I, now I really like it. I'm like, well, of course you do, <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's gone, and now everybody gets to be sad about it. I think history it, will be kind of the series in the end. Ratings aside, uh, the content and what was trying to be established, I, I think people are going to look back fondly. Oh, I think so, too. I, I, I have absolutely no doubt. I think that this is going to be the show people look back on and, uh, you know... I know people are going to hate me for saying this. I'm probably going to get, you know, a bomb sent to me in the mail. <laughs> but I think that this is going to be the show that people are back and, you know, go, oh, that's Stargate, mm-hmm. you know. Um, had SGU continued, what would you have liked to have seen more explored in Matt's life? I mean, we saw his work ethic, his love life, his leadership and fear of it. What other sides to Matt that maybe they talked with you possibly about doing or that maybe you just personally thought would be a neat and interesting wrinkle to throw in yourself. I wanted to see some more of his opinions about, you know, because he is a deeply religious person on some level, that there is a conflict of um, his own sort of personal drives and his appetites and, and his desires, I think, at times, and, and at the same time, his spiritual life. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been really interesting to see how that spiritual side of him starts to clash with all of this scientific um, information that they're getting, especially concerning the background radiation, and how that might conflict with his own sense of, of faith, or if it just reinforces it, mm-hmm. you know? Because in essence, what they were looking for once they discovered the background radiation was God, you know? Was, was the source of what everything came from, mm-hmm. possibly. And for someone who has a, a, a sense of faith about him, I thought that it would have been really interesting to see how that screws with his head. Um, uh, you know, I, who, who, who knows? Who, who knows what crazy back alleys and 
few turns the character could have gone down. I mean, um, we never really knew. And, I, you know, there's part of me that doesn't really want to know. Because we were always so surprised. We'd get scripts and we'd be, you know, we would have a general idea at times of where, where the season was heading. But, you know, at the same time, um, it was just delightful to be surprised mm-hmm. when, we, when the script showed up at our doors. And, you know, it, it was, they just did a great job surprising us. SGU and Caprica both were canceled within a few weeks of each other. Um, and at the time, they were really the serious sci-fi that sci-fi as a network was showing. Um, what you've got on there now, for the most part, is, are things like Eureka, Warehouse 13, Alphas. You know, granted, where there's some serious, and there's drama there, but you know, there's also little light touches also. Do you think serious genre programming, serious sci-fi... Is there really a place for it right now, or are things in real life, like the economy and all the current world events that are happening that are, are depressing, are people looking for something that's just more lighthearted and more digestible? Well, that's interesting. I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, I, I actually think what's missing on sci-fi right now is something that is pure genre, pure sci-fi. Um, you know, you... I, I see what you mean, in reg- especially in regards to Sanctuary, which is such a, you know, it, it's it's um, it's very fun and very lighthearted, and you, don't, you know, you don't you never buy a second of it, but you're kind of not supposed to. It's sort of that's sort of what makes it what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very difficult to do very high quality sci-fi. It's very very expensive. I mean. You see shows like you know Terra Nova. They're they're able to pull off a lot of what they can pull off simply because they have the money to. Mm-hmm. Um, Flip side of that though is too, it's a shorter season also because of how expensive it is. Exactly, exactly. I you know I, I don't know. I mean I I'll tell you I, I it was one of our hopes for Red Faction. Um, you know when we shot that I, I I still don't think Red Faction is dead. Actually I think that there is some sort of future because I I think what's missing on sci-fi right now is some kind of either space-based or more fantasy-based, serialized, but dramatic sci-fi. Mm-hmm. That's what's missing right now. I mean, Alpha is, is pretty serious, um, but, you know, it's set on Earth. It's it's kind of set here on this planet. There's no sense. There's, you know, the situations require a big flight of the imagination, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of people miss turning on sci-fi and seeing something flying through space or, or starting <laughs> seeing something on a spaceship or being on a foreign planet. Uh, uh, like it's almost becoming like a branding issue for the network. They're losing their identity. Um, not, well, not purposely, but I mean, if you throw things at it, like the wrestling that's on there, you know, one night a week or the shows that they do have like Eureka, you know, and even something like that. And I won't get into that, but coming from that cancellation where it wasn't, had nothing to do with ratings whatsoever. And it was mainly just the fact of the profit margins, you know, with the show because it's been on for five years already. Yeah, uh, you mean um, you mean sanctuary? No, Eureka, or, and even um, sanctuary is going to get to that point also. Oh right, yeah. Just because well, I mean, they've they're, been they're on very, they're, yeah, and they're cheap shows to make. Um, they don't require you know too much as you know as far as you know VFX investment. And I mean, you look at you know what Mark Savella did on Stargate Universe. I mean, Universe, I would say specifically, but you know, uh, especially at the last couple of years of Atlantis and some stuff and. Um, you know, SG One. I mean, the, the, those are some of the highest quality. I, I, I would say that those you know rival the graphics that were being done on, on Battlestar Galactica, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that ain't cheap. 
you know, it is, it is not cheap mm-hmm. to have uncheap special <laughs> effects, and that's a problem. So it becomes, you know, I mean, it, how does a boutique, you know, uh, um, cable network like sci-fi that caters to a very specific uh, niche of people uh, have high-quality, high-quality-looking type shows that are set in these really fantastical realms mm-hmm. when they're so, so, so expensive right. and so hard to pull off. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, hey, I, I hope, I hope that, um, that, you know, something happens with Red Faction and they, they, they take a look at it and, you know, see that, you know, that there's something there in the slate mm-hmm. because I, I think that's, that's just what's missing on sci-fi mm-hmm. right now, if you ask me. But that, all that being said, I'm, I'm actually quite a big fan of Alphas. I mean, an amazing set of actors, really interesting concept. Um, and I think really, really well done. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's definitely got some legs. And absolutely, I love, too, Ira Stephen Bear, who also spearheaded and uh, show ran Deep Space Nine for so many years. Okay. It was the driving force behind this first season. Um, mm. I've heard maybe he's out for the second one. I don't know. I haven't actually caught all of it. But, uh, I mean, that's right. a big reason. I mean, I immediately just, with the tone of the show, yeah. one of the reasons I latched onto it is just because of my devotion to him as a as a writer and a director and, you know, showrunner. So. Are you are you fan fan of um, Falling Skies? You know, I because of my schedule and you know the different jobs that I have, you know, or like real life jobs, it was just really really hard for me to catch it. Um, yeah, Colin Cunningham from SG One is a huge character on there, and right. I, I've tried to catch it when I can, and I catch an episode here and an episode there, but honestly, until it shows up on something like Netflix or, or something where I can just kind of sit down and get to it at my own speed, yeah, I'll definitely get to it. But you know, it's it's one of those things. Until I can devote the time to it, it's just it's hard. Yeah, it's a great show. It's a, it's I, in my opinion, it's it's the best sci-fi out there right now on television. I mean, you've been, I don't think um, I, I don't think Terra Nova comes close to what they're doing on on Falling Skies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just this smart, scary, beautifully done, um, amazing actors, great stories. It's you know, and it's got a really interesting feel to it. That I, you know, that I really, really love. I'm, you know, really digging and hoping uh, that they can continue it with second season. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other things that you've been involved with, both before uh, SGU ended and then also, you know, absolutely since. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that and how that experience was. Uh, that was amazing. I mean, it was six six weeks or something like that in London, um, you know, shooting with David Suchet and... and Eileen Atkins and uh, um, Hugh Bonville and uh, David Morrissey and Jessica Chastain, mm-hmm. um, who you know now is <laughs> you know from like the Tree of Life and um, mm-hmm. you know she played the young Helen Mirren in this other film. I mean she's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You can't you cannot watch a movie these days. She was in The Help. She's everywhere, mm-hmm. and she had shot pretty much all those films before we started working on. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express, and I remember we were having lunch one day. She's like, "Yeah, I've got these five films coming out. They're you know probably going to be pretty big, and we have no idea when they're coming out. And it's probably going to be a life changer. And they certainly were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just happened all at once. But that that was great. It was just um, you know we wanted to take you know a um, a pretty well known Agatha Christie story and give it 
a pretty straightforward treatment. You know, I, I, I remember seeing Murder on the Orient Express, the movie with Sean Connery, and, you know, that, that whole, cla- it's a classic film. Mm-hmm. But it's so campy. It's, it's like it's like a glass of champagne. It's just frothy and funny and very very light. When it, when you actually read the book, it's a very dark story and very twisted and and rooted in a lot of deep dark psychological um, uh, uh, subterranean stuff. And the whole objective was was to not avoid it, but to actually like lean into it and to make it as dark and gritty as we possibly could, and not to apologize for it. Um, I think did a great job. It's, it's one of the things I've done I'm most proud of. I thought it was such a classy project. It looked beautiful. It was beautifully shot. David Suchet was ridiculously amazing to, to watch work. Mm-hmm. It's a master class. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest with you, some of the best programming that I've watched in the last year has come out of PBS, has come out of the oh, BBC. British television Abbey. right now, in general, British television right now is just phenomenal. Oh, it really is. I, I completely agree. Well, you know, they, 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 they there's a level of sophistication, and, and um, you know, I, I don't think that they're ever appealing to... The, the lowest common denominator in their programming. Mm. You know what I mean? They they don't do that. I mean, I, yeah, they do. They've got their soap operas and they've got their <laughs> you know version of Gossip Girl <laughs> over there. I'm sure, but you know, maybe it's just a really great stuff that kind of funnels its way over here. We go, oh, British television is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, if you even just look back over the years, how many different dramas and sitcoms. That started in Britain, and they've tried to get it launched here. The Office, um, Coupling, um, you know, even Torchwood, that was brought, you know, overseas this year. To right. Oh, that's audience. right. That's right. Wasn't Being Human originally? Yeah. But being, I, I completely spaced out Being Human. So Being Human Skins? Yep. We, we sure screwed up Skins on this side of the pond. <laughs> just, I'm hoping there's never an American Doctor Who, because that's just going to be bad. <laughs> Right. Um, You spent some time, uh, actually, earlier this year uh, on stage off Broadway uh, with a little black dress. Yeah, I did. I did. And one of the cool things about that was there were so many Starkey fans that uh, that showed up. And like my cast members, like hadn't you know that was in the show, they had no idea what was going on because I'd be on the lobby after the show, and you know there'd be a Starkey fan there with a big poster. <laughs> they would see me like signing it. They'd be like, "What the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. Who the hell do you think you are?" Because <laughs> it was pretty wild. Um, that, but that, that was that was purely something for me. You know, I, I you know, most of the theater you do in New York is stuff that you you feel an urge to do that has nothing to do with your career, nothing to do with money, nothing to do with what you've done before. That was a character I really wanted to play. I'd spent two years bawling my eyes out and running from death mm-hmm. <laughs> weekly on Stargate. I, I wanted to play a happy-go-lucky, horny, uh, opportunistic guy <laughs> who's really essentially pretty likable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got to do that on stage. Do you have a preference at all between stage or screen as far as where your heart oh, lies more? Stage, like hands down. Hands down. You can't, com- oh, you can't even compare it. I mean, 
when you're working on a series, I mean, I think, I don't know, I haven't figured this out yet. I don't know if Stargate was just special, if that was just an anomaly, because I, I loved, I loved that so much. I loved all the people that I worked with, and we had such a great experience making that together. But as far as the acting side of it, you can't even compare. I mean, you've got, you basically have to condense three weeks of rehearsal into a, like, 15-minute blocking session before you shoot the scene. And then they turn on the cameras, and you're going for it. <laughs> and you just hope to God that the editor picks the good parts <laughs> and leaves the crap out, because it's, like, 90% crap. Because <laughs> you, you have no idea. At least that's the way I feel. You have no idea what you're doing. Right. I'm, I'm like, I always tell directors, I'm, I'm a four... I'm a four-take actor, because by the fourth take, I've gotten a lot of the crap out, and I've, I've relaxed into it a little bit. The, the more time I have with something, the better. The, um, the more time I can spend with the character, or with the script, or with the moment, with the lines, just everything is just better. I'm not one of those people that can just show up and, you know, look at the script, not having read it the night before, and just deliver. And there's a lot of people who can do that. You'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they do it, but it's not me. <laughs> Um, let's go back and uh, talk a little bit about Red Faction and uh, how that all came about. Well, Red Faction, I think I actually owe a really big debt to Erica Kinnair, um, who was our sci-fi rep um, for Stargate. And they were developing this project. They'd been developing it for a little while. They had this partnership with um, the folks that made Red Faction, the Red Faction games. And uh, they wanted to go into this multi-platform um, concept where you've got a, you know, a, a TV movie or possibly a TV series that's tied in with a game that's currently being made. Um, and Red Faction, I think, was something that said really well with it. Um, but, but, you know, I think Erica knew me pretty well from Stargate and flipped my name around and we sent over a reel. And it just all kind of happened it, it seemed to be a really great fit. Uh, he was similar enough to Matthew Scott um, that they knew that I could pull it off, mm -hmm. and he was different enough from Matthew Scott that made me want to do it. <laughs> you oh, know yeah. what I mean? It, it wasn't just a rehash of what, I, what I'd been doing on Stargate. The mm -hmm. character had a lot more confidence. Um, he had definitely had his demons and definitely had stuff that he was dealing with, but, but there was there was a sense of self-possession and a sense of knowing himself that uh, was very different from, from Matt Scott. Mm -hmm. Subtle difference, but it, it actually made quite a big difference in the storytelling. It was quite the cast in that, too. You had Robert Patrick, right? uh, Gareth David Lloyd. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kate Vernon from, you know, mm -hmm. Mama's Cylon right there. Like I, She's the one <laughs> I geeked out big time when I met. I mean, Robert Patrick, of course, but you know, he's, he's just such a cool guy. It's just like whatever. She's she's a cool gal, but <laughs> you know, I, I'm 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 probably the biggest Battlestar Galactica fan out there. So when she showed up for the first day of work, I mean, I, I my upper lip was sweating a little bit. <laughs> um, it was a great cast, but really the star of that show was Michael Mankin, who directed it. Mm -hmm. um, this was not an easy shoot. <laughs> right. We were in Bulgaria in the middle of winter. I mean, you know, I've said it a thousand times, like in other interviews. It was a really hard shoot. Um, 
but he kept this ship afloat with unbelievable I mean he 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 probably needed another month to do it right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um and probably another couple million dollars too. And he got it done and it's you know, considering the resources that, that were at our disposal and the time we had It's a solid film. It's a really solid film and, and, and that's why I think there's so much promise behind it because I think if you keep this group of people together and you you you, you know, give them a shot and really give them the resources that they need. Really give them a resources and let's shoot this not in Bulgaria, please. Let's you know <laughs> somewhere else, <laughs> anywhere else. Um, I, I think that there's a really solid uh, foundation there for for a really cool series. And I'm not just saying that because I'm you know I had a big part in it. It, it, it was a great group of people I'd love to work with, and I think that the story has a lot of potential, and I think that it could fit in very nicely. Um, in, in, into sci-fi's programming and really fill a need. Mm-hmm. Something that I think is missing on it right now. Well, your latest role uh, is actually on the CW. It is and, indeed. And you are on Gossip Girl. Um, honestly, I don't watch it. I have no plans to, so I'm just going to ask, are you kissing up on Blake Lively yet? Uh, well, I can't, I can't say. <laughs> I can't say. That's all very much a direct yeah, story. Uh-huh. I'm, I don't watch it either. I haven't watched it, and, and I won't watch it. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's not my thing. But look, the thing is, it, you know, you can't, um, you know, you can't just do sci-fi all no, your life. No, no, no. You know what I mean? And you got to break out. You got to, you got to do stuff that's different. One of the reasons I ended up doing this was because I really didn't want to do it, and that told me something. I'm like, why do I have such an aversion to to doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, I, why? You know, like you know, we we got the news, and I I, I said no three times. Mm-hmm. I told my agent no. They called me. They were all excited. I'm like, I, I, no, I don't want to do it. Well, why? And I didn't really know why. Mm-hmm. You know, it was because I cared what other people thought that I was doing. Was it because um, I, it was a style that was really foreign to me? Was it, did, did, you know? The, the concept of the character make me nervous. I, I didn't. I, I had to go in and find out. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's hasn't been the most comfortable working experience of my life. And, right. You know, I got a few more days um, of work on it. Um, I'm definitely not going to like miss it the way that I've missed Stargate. But it, it's an experience that um, I'm really glad that I had because. Actually, I think I learned a lot. I learned more doing this probably than I did on two years of Stargate. Mm-hmm. Because when you do something that kind of scares you that bad, um, and trust me, it's really scary and really exhausting to spend 12 hours a day with people who are that perfect. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? And like people who are like engaged to Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? Right. It, it, it is, it's exhausting and, and very, very frightening. It's not I'm because not you're playing guy. a chef, right? Uh, no, no. The chef, I, we, we never really see him cook, which I always thought was a little bit odd, mm. but okay, whatever. <laughs> I, mean, it's, I, I don't, I guess, I guess that, you know, you know, someone chopping up, you know, pate or, you know, 
the carrots just isn't palatable to 14 year old girls. So I guess I can understand why they didn't put it in, but, um, you know, it, like I said, it, it, it was an experience. I'm glad that I did. It was, it was kind of a bitter pill to swallow, but I, I learned a lot from it. And I'm, and I'm in, at the same time, you know, things are bad out there right now. You know, it's a bad economy to, to just to say that I, that I was working is, is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a whirlwind three years for you. You know, obviously a big chunk of that was Stargate. What do you take away from the two years that you had on set? Don't take experiences like that for granted mm-hmm. because it's rare. You know, when you have the kind of family feeling we had on that set and the kind of connections you have with people, don't take it for granted ever. Mm-hmm. It's, it just is not. And having spent some time on some other sets, I can guarantee you, that what we had going on that show is um, insanely rare. Mm-hmm. It, it maybe once in a lifetime so you get to work on something that makes you feel that way. Is there any single defining moment over those two years that you're most proud of, whether it was something on screen or off? You know, we went to uh, to Interspace. Um, they screened, I believe it was... I don't remember the name of the episode, but it's the, it's the episode where, you know, Eli finds out that Rush knows about the bridge and mm-hmm. okay. all that stuff. Yeah. And we all, we all they, they did a screening for the audience before we did out, before we came out and did the interviews. And we, we all stood behind the curtain and just listened to the audience watching the show. And they were laughing and they were going, ooh, and something kind of, you know, crazy happened and clapping at certain moments. When you make a TV show, you never, it's not like theater because you don't get that immediate gratification of seeing people react to it and knowing how it's coming across. When we stood behind that curtain and listened to people listening to the show and enjoying it that much and buzzing about it, um, that was really incredible. I felt so, we all felt so connected to, to the fans and we're so gratified that despite, you know, a lot of the nasty stuff that was in the air and a lot of the, you know, feeling like we were being attacked and, and stuff like that, to, to, to hear that and to see people being so hardcore about it was, was awesome. Mm-hmm. It, it, moments like that make it all worth it. Any regrets? Um, that I didn't take more video. <laughs> I should have, I should have done a lot more, a lot more videos of like behind the scenes of that because we just, I just can't stress it enough. We had such a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any message for fans, not just of SGU, but everything else that you're starting to be in now. Um, you know, hopefully we're going to continue to talk to you throughout the years. Oh, as your sure. career continues to grow, but uh, any message you want to give fans to... Um, it's just, it, it's like that Sinatra song, the, the best is yet to come. <laughs> there's, there's, there's still a long road ahead, and, you know, I, a career is, it, it's, not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and mm-hmm. um, I think that, that, that Stargate was, was an amazing experience, but there's still so much more out there to explore um but of course i I always want to thank the fans who i've met on twitter or even that i met at conventions who just from day one have been supportive and 
um, happy to have us as part of the Stargate family. Uh, we we appreciated that so much, so 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 much. You know, uh, there's a little bit of distance now, and I think everyone's kind of scattering and going their own ways, and we're all ready to move on to the next thing. But um, but I, I don't know. Those those two years were. Um, I will always look so fondly on them. 